Yeah, no, I meant to talk to you about that. I'm really Yeah, I was really disappointed. Good morning, Longview Point. We have a special person here this morning. Could we have a, a, a welcome for our pastor right here? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you, Longview Point family. We're a little sparse, as I expected we might be with this week's announcements. And I, I want to do two things now. I want to say hello to you, and I want to greet you well. And I want you to know that we're, if you're a guest with us, that it's our honor to have you here. And we hope that you are loved well in the time that you spend with us, that you make yourself at home because you are at home, act like family because you are family, and know that we are super excited to have you here with us. Now, ordinarily, we'd have given you a bulletin when you came in, and it'd have a nice little neat response card attached to it, but because we're trying to limit as much distribution of materials as we can, the exchanging of, of, of things of various types, uh, there is no print bulletin this week, and there won't be a print bulletin probably for the next few weeks, but you can access not only the bulletin, but also the sermon notes this morning on the Longview Point Baptist Church app. And if you'll go in your Apple or Samsung app store, you can download that app. It's a quick and easy process. That gives you access to a number of resources. All of our audio and teaching resources are there. Uh, service live streams through that app now. You can access the bulletin and the sermon notes, as we said. If you're a guest with us, you can communicate to us that you are here. Maybe a need that you have. Prayer requests can be cited there on the App Store, and we receive those uh, as the pastors here. And, uh, and you can utilize that app, Longview Point Faith Family, in giving as well. We're not receiving an offering in the traditional sense with the passing of plates. There are give boxes in the back for those of you who would like to give in a more traditional way. But you can give through the app as well, and it's nice and smooth and easy. The second thing that I want to do is just to kind of have a family meeting about the COVID thing and talk about where we are. I know that there were new announcements made. I hope that most of you got uh, the letter from me yesterday through social media or in email. Hopefully you were able to see that. Now, let me preface everything that I'm going to say by, by taking note of something that should be self-evident. Brother Wade is not a medical expert. I don't play one on television. I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. I'm just not. But what I am an expert on is, is the people of God. That's what God's called me to. And what I know is that the people of God, as much as is possible, unless providentially hindered, need to assemble themselves together to be nourished by the Word of God and to celebrate Jesus. There are instances, there are times when we are providentially hindered from being able to be here. And I've had a series of questions and I have messages that are awaiting me right now about people struggling with guilt about not being here and they don't feel like they need to be here because of health issues. Let me just alleviate that guilt right now. 
and say that it's a, it's a product of being created in the image of God that we would understand the sanctity of human life and even the sanctity of our own life and understand that when our health is declining or there's compromised immunity that we need to take reasonable measures to protect ourselves and to guard ourselves not just against this virus but against anything that might be harmful to our person or, or our health in general. Let, so I, 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 want, I want you to encourage your brothers and sisters that you're in conversation with who are struggling with staying home and struggling with the guilt of staying home, that, that they're honoring the life that God has given them when taking reasonable measures to protect their, their, their health and, and well-being. Y'all with me? So help with that. However, again... As much as we can be, we need to be together to worship Jesus. I, I want you to know that while we're here, we're doing everything that we can to be safe and protect you and to protect one another. We're, we're going to do all those things that we possibly can. But at the same time, I, I want you to know that anytime you leave your home, and especially when you gather in a building with other people, there's a certain level of risk that is assumed. For me and my house, at the present hour, it's a risk that's worth our assuming because we need spiritually to gather together with the people of God. We were made for fellowship. It's a part of what it means to be created in the image of God. Now, for those who aren't able to be with us, that means that there is this gap in their life. There's a need. And I know you can't be there, and you can't hug a neck, and you can't shake a hand, but you can make a phone call. You can let folks know that just because they're out of sight doesn't mean they're out of mind. Love on folks from six feet away or whatever the prescribed distance for the day is. Honor their concerns for their safety, but do the best that you can to reach out and be a minister to those communities as well. Now, there have been a couple of instances where there were really close calls with exposure within the fellowship of our church, specifically within connect groups. If that happens, we'll do our best to let you know within those groups or within whatever group it is that, that someone was here who was proven to be case positive and it's clear that that positive returned in a period of time that seems reasonable to expect that they were positive while they were within our fellowship. We're, we'll do our best. But you also have to understand that we are not about to get, as Longview Point Baptist Church, in the business of trying to track every COVID case in DeSoto County. We can't reasonably do that. So again, there's a level of risk that is assumed any time that we gather together this way, and you're going to have to count the cost of that in your own personal lives as well. Here's another thing I want to caution you against. There are probably going to continue to be cases in our area. I'd be shocked if that weren't the case. Don't, don't get on the phone and tell everybody's business. People, your, your, your health is still your personal business. And without someone approving of that, it's just bad form. So I, I, get all, I get there's concern and interest in making sure that we let folks know. We'll give you a generic call or a generic email that says someone within this fellowship, someone within this group tested positive. You may want to self-isolate. You may want to be tested. But that's all the information that I'm giving you because that's all the information that you need. I know you want more information than that because you're nosy like I am. But that's all the information you're going to get. And then we'll just sort of roll from there, okay? Does all that sound good? So bear with us. Again, I'm not a doctor. Don't play one on television. But I am the pastor. And I'm doing the best that I can to balance the risks that are real and, and prevalent in our county against the real need that we have to meet together, to be nourished by the reading and study of God's Word and the worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's do that today, okay? Let's bow in prayer. I'm going to step away. John and our praise team are going to lead us well in worship. Let's make much of Jesus together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word, for the sweetness of fellowship, for the privilege of being able to gather together this morning to make much of you. God, I pray that your word would be preached in power, that we would sing these songs of praise with unction and conviction. God, that Jesus would be lifted high. May he increase as we decrease. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand to our feet.
out of the grave. You called me into the light. You called my name and then my heart came alive. Your love is greater.
Would take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to the book of Philippians, chapter number two. Philippians chapter two, we're going to look at verses one through 11 together this morning. Someone has described uh, Philippians two in this way. They said if the New Testament were a mountain range, Philippians two would be among its highest peaks. And I would concur. This is a passage with gospel depth and richness. There is not, in my estimation, a clearer articulation of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere in the New Testament than what we'll find in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. I hope that you'll be refreshed and encouraged, even as I have been, in preparing for this morning's message. If you found your way there, I want to invite you, if you would, where you are, to stand out of respect and honor for the reading of God's word. The Bible says, the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of God's Spirit, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave taking on the likeness of men. And when he'd come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. You may be seated. Most of the Apostle Paul's writings, and in fact much of the New Testament, is written in this sort of bifid mode. So you have bifid books, two-part books. Think of Romans. You have a theological section in the beginning and then a practical application of those theological concepts in the back. Romans 1 through 11, theological. Romans 12 through 16, very practical. Think of the book of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, deeply theological. Chapters 4 through 6, very, very practical. What you have in those practical sections are the answers to the question why. You have 
a practical application of the theological concept that's taught or introduced in the first part of the book. Now, the danger for many Christians, and the mistake that I see us making often, is that we lift the moral imperative, we lift the command from its theological context, and when we do so, we become legalist. We're really not much unlike our children when we tell them something to do and they say, why? We generally respond, because I said so. At least that's how we respond at my house. That's probably how you respond at your house as well. But like our children, it is helpful for us to know the why. To understand the theological foundations or theological motivation behind what it is that God has commanded us to do. Romans 12 through 16, all of those practical exhortations have their root in the theological concepts that are introduced in chapters 1 through 11. Ephesians 4 through 6, the foundation for those commands are in Ephesians 1 through 3 and the theological system that the Apostle Paul is building for the people of Ephesus. Now what makes the book of Philippians different than many of the other Pauline works is that Paul has woven together here the theological foundation with the practical implication. I think that's why so many people are so strongly drawn to the book of Philippians. It is a different kind of work. In our passage, in verses 1 through 4, we have the introduction of the practical exhortation. It is the product of, in some ways, previous practical exhortations, but it's deeply rooted in the theological material that the Apostle Paul gives us in verses 5 through 11. Now, there are a couple of practical exhortations here that are among the most practical. I'll overuse the language of practicality this morning, but bear with me. They're, they're very immensely practical. And by that I mean that not only are they the kind of things that can be practiced in life, but they're the kind of things that sort of run at cross positions with our culture. They're kind of at odds with who we are by nature of living where we live and growing up where we grow up and being exposed to the entertainment we're exposed to and living in the world around us. There's a handful of these in the book of Philippians that can be incredibly helpful in our personal walk at separating or distinguishing us from the world around us. I'm thinking specifically of the command later in chapter 2, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Now the application of that in your life will make you a unicorn in this world. But it's, it's, it's not far from that here in verses 1 through 4. The two practical exhortations the Apostle Paul gives us here are one, to be of one mind, and two, to consider others as more important than yourselves. But let's begin with be of one mind. Go back to verse 1. If, there, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Verse 1, Paul says, if there's any encouragement, consolation, if there's any fellowship, if there's any affection, any mercy, he's taking for granted that you understand that indeed there is. There, there is consolation in Christ. There is affection and mercy. There is sweetness of fellowship in Jesus. And because there is, Paul says, fulfill my joy by being of one mind, of one spirit, sharing in the same affections and having the same goal. Paul says, be of one mind. Now you've heard me say a lot in the past year and you'll hear me say a lot in the years to come, Lord willing, that it's important that we maintain the ability to have a diversity of opinions on issues that are not of first importance and to maintain unity in doing so. Now I want to tell you why that is not in conflict with what the Apostle Paul describes here. He is building toward this idea of having a single goal. The reason that we won't always think the same way or feel the same way or be on the same page about every single issue is because we're not always at the same place in our journey with Jesus. 
The reason I press so much giving latitude for brothers and sisters with varying opinions is because I recognize, and you should as well, that there are people at virtually every stage of walking with Jesus in the fellowship of our church. There are people that are new believers as of this week. And there are people who have been walking with Jesus for 60 and 70 and 80 years. Now the goal that Paul establishes for us is a good goal. A goal that we should be striving for while granting latitude for our brothers and sisters who may not be in the race of faith where we are. If the goal is always out there, the gospel of Jesus Christ, then eventually, whether you start over here or over here or somewhere toward the back or even near the finish line, if the goal is the gospel of Jesus Christ, then in due time, our feelings, our thoughts, our actions, our affections are all brought into accord as we press toward that one goal. Being about the one goal ensures that there will be unity and given time, patience on the part of God's people and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the body of the church ensures that we'll be brought to have the same affections, the same thoughts, that we'll land in the same place on issues about which there may be great disagreement in the here and now. We are being molded, shaped, and made over in the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. We need only to focus on that one goal. Now, it's a pity to me that there are things in our culture that tend to pull us together with greater power, it seems, than even the gospel. I think there's the drawing back the curtain on some idols when we see this phenomenon in our culture, like sports. People of diverse backgrounds can all get together and lay their differences aside in order to cheer for their favorite team. Now I want you to know this morning that the gospel of Jesus Christ will not play second fiddle to your favorite game. It just will not. And I'm telling you this morning that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough to bind us together, together so much so that man cannot put asunder what Jesus has done through the gospel. Paul says, be of one mind, fulfill my joy. Now bear in mind he's writing here to the church at Philippi who've impacted their community, the region around Philippi, and even over to Rome by the power of the gospel. This is the product of their togetherness, their single-minded devotion to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Consider others as more important than you. And in doing so, you'll have fulfilled the requirement of God on our life. This is really an otherworldly thing, isn't it? This is, this is not what we have been trained by the culture. We have not been groomed to accommodate this kind of expectation on our life. But this is who Christ has called us to be, a people who count the needs of others as more pressing than our own. Paul says, consider others as more important than yourselves. Avoid rivalry or conceit. Avoid rivalry or conceit. Rivalry is the idea. You understand rivalry. You understand rivalry largely because of athletics. It's the idea that someone else has something or someone else believes they have something or feels superior to you and you need somehow in your heart of hearts to prove them that they are wrong. That you are superior in some kind of way. Usually it's not the want to overcome them as much as it is the want to see them fail. Paul says avoid rivalry. Avoid conceit which is just the opposite of what's he, what he's called us to do in considering others as more important than ourselves. Now, Paul doesn't stop there with this notion of esteeming others more highly than ourselves. He gives us, in verses 5 through 11, the chief example in all of human history of someone counting others as more important than himself. 
as, so, as someone esteeming others more highly than himself. And it's an, it's an undeniable example, one that cannot be revoked, one that cannot be argued with. So the reason that we don't count others as more highly than ourselves is because we don't count others more highly than ourselves. Like, we don't say it, we don't verbalize it, but we think in ourselves. There is this snap, instinctual judgment. I am better than person A, B, or C. Or it's just me, and so it's a natural thing that I would value my personal interest over everyone else's. And so we proceed about our life in a way that's very culturally acceptable, in a way that's well adapted to the ways of this world. Paul says, I want to give you an example of someone who didn't live his life that way. He doesn't just give us this biblical hero. They're all flawed, right? If you're looking for perfect heroes, you're going to be looking a long time. He gives us the chief example in all of human history of a man who indeed possessed a superior life, but who laid it down for the well-being of an inferior humanity, and God granted him glory in doing so. Look at verse 5. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God, that is, in the essence of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Let's deal with that for a moment. Jesus was not begun at the virgin birth. He always was. He enjoyed a position of authority on the throne of heaven. He did not consider his equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. An indication, first, that Jesus enjoys equality with, equality with the Father. There is no inequity within the Godhead, within the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus is God. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the expressed radiance of the Father's great glory. Jesus is God. Yet he chooses not to use his divinity for its advantages to himself personally. Rather to pour himself out in condescension in order that humanity might be forgiven of their sins and granted the promise of everlasting life. Y'all tracking with me this morning? This is, in essence, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, God, did not consider his divinity as something to be used for his personal advantage. Now, here we have an individual with a legitimate claim to superiority. Jesus, Jesus doesn't think he's better than you. He is better than you. Now, the problem we have is we think we're better than people that we are not. We're, in all reality, knowing ourselves the way that we do and informed by the truth of the gospel that we are dead in our sins and trespasses, we're all wretched. We're all equal because we're all on the bottom of the grave. That's where we are, apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus is superior, and yet he's willing to empty himself for the inferior humanity. Look to verse 7. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. Jesus clothes himself in flesh and comes to live among us. He condescends. He comes down and makes his abode with us. Our Emmanuel, God is with us. Now we tend to be smitten with sports figures or celebrities that we witness take a moment out of their busy schedule in order to speak to a child or to sign an autograph or to talk to the common folk. But there has never been a condescension, never been a coming down like what we see in Jesus Christ here. Jesus steps out of heaven into human history he does so in order to empty himself for our well-being, not using his divinity for his own advantage. And oh, how he might, have, he might have cast himself down from the temple in Matthew 4 and, and won the worship of all the world in an instant. But he takes the way of humiliation and in due time is exalted. This is the way of Jesus. Now, what Paul is saying here is this. In case you've missed 
the application of be of one mind and consider others as more important than yourselves. He says, I've got a third command for you. Be like Jesus. And this is how Jesus is. Don't you hate it when they bring Jesus into the conversation? I, I have always found myself being, being drawn to the Apostle Paul, mostly because I have a hard time identifying with Jesus for all of my shortcomings and failures, right? I, I, I have a lot more in common with sinful people than I have in common sometimes with Jesus. But, but Paul says, just be like Jesus. If you're, it's, the thing with humility is it's hard to define, but it's really easy to recognize when you see it. So rather than dealing with definitions, Paul just points to the chief example and says, you see Jesus, go be like him. Jesus who emptied himself of heaven, Jesus who assumed the form of a slave and wrapped himself in the likeness in, in flesh, in the likeness of men, and having come in his external form, he says in verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. It's, it's, it's not just that Jesus, like our favorite sports figure or a celebrity, took a time out of his day and signed an autograph and had a conversation. It's, it's not that just that he came down and he visited. It is that he came down and he made himself susceptible to all of the indignities and the vulnerabilities and the challenges and the pains and the agonies and the sufferings of life in the here and now. He, he didn't stop to visit Jesus made his home with us and subjected himself even to the authorities of this world for our good. He didn't just come down for a moment. Rather, he came down in full obedience even to the point of death on the cross. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel that Christ came down, lived without sin, and died as our substitute as a at the cross. This is the chief example of humility, but it's so much more than an example. Jesus took our place, treated as though he'd committed our sin. By faith in him, we're treated as though we possess his righteousness. Even death on a cross. Now, here in verse 9 and following, Paul at least implies that the pattern of Jesus' life, even post-crucifixion, holds forth some promise for us. Verses 9 through 11 read, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There, there are two levels of truth that Paul is speaking to here. There, there is the gospel reality, and then the implied expectation Paul establishes for us that if we pour ourselves out in humiliation, that in the kingdom that is to come, there will be for us exaltation. Let's work through those two individually. The gospel reality is that by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it has been assured the Son that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him and to him alone. And there will come a day, you make no mistake about it, it makes no difference how much we shake our fist or beat our chest defiantly. There will come a day when every knee bows itself in humility and every tongue, whether virtuous or deceitful, will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, either in judgment or in salvation. But that day, will, it will come. You can book it friend, it will come. Assuredly, as Christ was born to a virgin, died on the cross, and rose again, he will come again, only not so tame this round. Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and every tongue will confess his lordship. But I want you to know that Jesus attains or achieves his exaltation through his humiliation at the cross and in his death and exaltation, the example is extended further. 
There is a building here on the principle Paul has laid down in Philippians 1.21 where he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. The reason the Apostle Paul is able to say that is because he has patterned his life after that of Jesus Christ. Jesus is humiliated at the cross and exalted at his resurrection. Jesus has exchanged the glories of this world for the glories of heaven. And by faith in Jesus, we may exchange the glories of this world for the glories that await us in heaven. Now, I'm not suggesting to you in any way, shape, form, or fashion that there awaits for us the measure of exaltation that Jesus has achieved. He has been given the name above every name, and every tongue, including our tongue, will confess his lordship over our life. But I am saying to you this morning emphatically, and I exhort and encourage you to believe with your very heart of hearts that by faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what hand this world may deal you, that what awaits us in Jesus is incomparable in comparison to anything that this world could afford. The sufferings and the pains and the agonies and the difficulties and the discomforts and the frustrations and the sicknesses and the diseases and even the death that may await us in the here and now are not worthy to be compared with the glory that awaits us in Christ Jesus. Your suffering in the here and now, the indignities you may experience, your lack of creature comforts, your discomfort in general, your frustration with the way the world works, the difficulty and the awkwardness of communicating the gospel, persecution that may await you when you do communicate the gospel. It's all, it's all okay and it's all worth it in the end because Jesus is who he is, the resurrected king and in Christ will receive resurrection too. This is this upside down kingdom thing I keep talking about. This is it. This is it. Not only the gospel, but an understanding of the constitution of the kingdom of God, where things are upside down from the things of this world. The way forward is back. The way up is down. The way to be first is to be last. The way to be master is to be servant of all. This is the way the kingdom works. If we could ever get our heads around the reality that being a follower of Jesus is not about attaching the name of Jesus to our life and making modest changes to the way we conduct our business, but about living a life that is a radical contradiction to the world around us by faith in Jesus, then and only then can we make a kingdom impact in the world around us. And we can do it with glad hearts, with, with joy, with full hearts. Not because there awaits for us some award or merit for what we've achieved in the here and now. But because of the inheritance that is laid up for us in Jesus Christ. You understand now why Paul can say with such confidence to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you see why Paul could run face first in the kind of adversity that he experiences in, 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 in the co historical context of Philippians? He's in jail, for heaven's sake. And he's there celebrating the goodness of the gospel. I, I don't know what the future looks like for us. We speak with such gloom and doom about how things are headed and where things are going. I don't know about any of that. But I know that on the other side, there's a land that flows with milk and honey. And I'm running my race for that destination. And I want to invite you this morning to join me in the race of faith. To trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. To turn your eyes away from the things of this world and to fix your gaze on the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's coming a day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses. Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and for its truth, the chance to meet together and to make much of your son. I pray, God, that believing or unbelieving, every person here this morning would understand the message of the gospel 
that forgiveness for our sin and the promise of heaven is for those who have believed on Jesus as the Son, who lived without sin, who died as our substitute, and who rose again victoriously, guaranteeing the resurrection of those who put faith and trust in him. Move and work in the next moments, Lord. I pray that you'd have your way in the hearts of every soul gathered here. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite you to go ahead and stand where you are. We're going to have a time of invitation or commitment. If you're here this morning and you'd believe on Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, if you'd commit your life to him, turn away from the things of this world and come to Jesus by faith, the invitation is for you. Maybe you're here and you desire to be in the fellowship of our faith family. We'd love to have you as a member of the Longview Point family. You come. The invitation time is for you. Maybe you've believed, but you've never followed through with believer's baptism. Lord willing, next Sunday, we'll celebrate baptism together in this service and in the, in the 11 o'clock service. And I, I can't wait. Those are always some of my favorite, favorite services. Maybe you're an individual that needs to be a part of one of those services. The invitation time is for you. There may be any number of other issues, given all that's going on in the world around us, about which you need prayer or encouragement. We'd love to receive you. We'll do everything within our ability to show you what the Bible says about your circumstances and walk you through what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in the midst of whatever it is that you're facing. Now, I want to I remind you this morning that a hymn of invitation, a time of commitment, is not exclusively about new believers new members or baptismal candidates. It's a time when many of us who've been followers of Jesus for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years might bow and quietly pray, commit ourselves anew to being like Jesus in every area of our life. May God grant us the courage, the power, faithfulness to yield to the work of his spirit in these next moments. Let's sing together. There is a fountain filled with blood Drawn from Emmanuel's veins And sinners plunged beneath that flood There's all their guilty stains There's all their guilty And sinners plunged beneath that flood Through all their guilty states The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day and there may i though vile as he wash all my sins away wash all my sins away wash all my sins away and there may I though vile as he wash all my sins away Fountain full of love for us, poured out on us. Hallelujah, fountain full of love for us, poured out on us. Hallelujah, fountain full of love for us, poured out
poured out on us. His sins by faith I saw the stream Thy flowing wounds supply Redeeming love has been my theme And shall be till I die And shall be till I die And shall be till I die. Redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. Going on. Kids Point Connect will be held this afternoon at 4 p.m. All students in first through sixth grades will meet together for games, activities, and fun. Contact Pastor Kevin for details. We are asking families with preschoolers to register their children for Sunday mornings in the preschool ministry. Registering in advance will help our teachers and volunteers prepare supplies for each child and limit contact between classroom items. Childcare will be provided in the preschool ministry during the 11 a.m. services. For more information, contact Preschool Director Angela Kaysen. Pastor Derek is hosting Student Camp at the Point July 26th through 29th from 6 to 9 p.m. Each night there will be food, games, worship, and guest speakers. Camp is open to students that have completed grades 6 through 12. Cost is $25 per student with a family max of $50. Register online at longviewpoint.org or on the Longview Point mobile app. We are now accepting monetary donations to provide clothing and necessities for children in need from our community this fall. If you would like to contribute, donations can be made online or dropped in the Give Drop box or Contribution boxes at the exits of the sanctuary. For more information, contact Christy Douglas. Celebrate Recovery and the Landing for Teens are meeting on campus Friday evenings at 6.30 p.m. Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-centered recovery program for everyone with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. See Pastor Jason for more information. That's what's going on at The Point. Let's expand His kingdom across the street and around the world. We used to sing that song, uh, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins in my, in my first pastor at John. And uh, we only sang about six songs because that's all the pianists could play. And we, and we only sang the first and the fourth stanza because the song leader smoked for 50 years and he didn't have enough wind to sing more than two verses. But I'm going to tell you, out of key, with the piano out of tune, and not much in the way of song direction, it's still a sweet truth. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that blood, lose all their guilty stains. Aren't you glad for what Jesus has done for you? I, I've got an announcement for you, and I'm going to dismiss you. We, uh, one of the consequences of not being able to meet for the past several months, I know we've been back for a few weeks, but I think one of the consequences has been we've lost a little bit of focus and momentum with regards to our 2020 debt retirement plan. So I want to talk about that for just a moment. We started the 2020 debt retirement. Another thing is we've had a lot of people come into the fellowship. There may be some of you who don't know what I'm talking about when I say 2020 debt retirement plan, so let me tell you. In August of last year, August the 18th to be exact, we introduced the 2020 plan for debt retirement. At that point in time, we had, um, I don't remember the figures, but at some, at some point, I hadn't been here long, and at some point along the way, it was right at $1.7 million in debt, and we wanted to retire that debt in order to free those funds up to do ministry. So not, again, what we've been saying is we're not, we're not setting out to build Six Flags over Jesus. We want to free that money up to be able to do ministry effectively and to get the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. Since that time, we have retired more than $1 million of that debt. We're now at about $590,000. 
One thing that's overlooked in that discussion sometimes is that in this year's budget, not only did the budget remain flat to, ha to leave margin for giving to retire this debt, but there, were, there was a little over $300,000 that was uh, given in the budget to retire this debt. So we still have about $165,000 that remains to be paid on the debt from the budget. So what we're looking at is about $400,000 in debt to account for in the second half of this year. Now, I'll just be honest with you. When we introduced this plan back in August of last year, I really didn't think we'd make it. In fact, I think I said at the time, hey, if we don't, we haven't lost anything. We're farther along than we would have been otherwise. We're that much closer to meeting it. You know, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. So let's get something out there and encourage folks to let's concentrate on this and get it knocked out. But now, with six months remaining in the year and about 400000 to account for, I'm feeling pretty good about the likelihood of getting there, you know? So back early in the COVID crazy season, we, there were some large gifts that w w we received, and we were given some discretion with those gifts, but at the time we didn't know if the economic sky would fall or not. So those have been kept in the general fund until now, and we are today announcing to you for the remainder of the month of July and August a $50,000 matching opportunity. So everything that you give in what remains of July and August to the 2020 Fund for Debt Retirement will be matched dollar for dollar up to $50,000. Now, I, I, I want to say something here, and this has been my reluctance. I haven't talked to you about 2020. We didn't set a goal for Annie Armstrong. I've, I, I don't want to unduly burden those of you who have been impacted negatively by COVID and all that's happened in its fallout. But this is, this is where we are a church. Not, we're not, not individuals, but as a church. And here's what I know. In spite of the fact that some of us may have been impacted negatively and some of us may have been hurt deeply in a financial way through all of this season, that together we have the capacity to retire this debt by the end of the year. And together we have the capacity to meet this uh, $50,000 match challenge. So what I'd ask you to do is to pray first and ask God what he'd have you to give and then what God tells you to do, follow up. And it's always good to do what God tells you to do. And uh, so look for margin. Look for areas where sacrifice might be made. And let's knock this thing out and be ready to charge forth full throttle in 2021 with some newly liberated resources to do kingdom work. Not just next year, but in the decades ahead. So $50,000 match. Get the word out. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day in Christ, and I, I hope you leave with a fire in your belly to tell others about what Jesus has done for you. Don't you dare go to Sunday dinner. Don't you go to the restaurant. Don't you go to the ball game this afternoon. Don't you go do anything that would put you in contact with other human beings without speaking of what Christ has done in your life. Tell them about how good Jesus is. How he didn't consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage, but emptied himself. That he came down, that he condescended, and that he wrapped himself in flesh and dwelt among us. Tell him that God came down in the person of Jesus. Tell him that he humbled himself even to the point of death. That on the third day he rose again and tell them that there's coming a day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's bow together. Thank you, God, for your goodness, for your son, for your word. Fill us with your spirit. Send us out with the gospel on our mouth. In Jesus' name, amen.